Well, good morning. Good Good to see all of you here, man. What a great group today. We're ready for the second part of our From This Day Forward series, series on marriage. The title of the series comes from a phrase that often occurs in the marriage vows. In fact, in your marriage vows, you might have said, or one day if you're single, you might say, to have and to hold from this day forward. And I would submit to you that the marriage vows are not something that you say once at a wedding that your marriage vows are something that you actually live out every day of your marriage. Every day is a from this day forward kind of day. And so hopefully this series is forward-looking. One of the reasons I want it to be forward-looking is because we come into our marriages with so much woundedness from our past. Uh, The past is often full of regret, uh, mistakes, wounds, and if we stay focused on the past our marriages are going to be at risk. And we need something different from this day forward. Our theme verse that we're starting out with each week is found in Lamentations chapter 3. It may seem like an odd place to go for a verse on marriage, uh, Lamentations, or maybe not. But uh, it's on your notes, on your screen. We're going to read it out loud together today. It says, I remember my affliction and my wandering. The bitterness and the gall, I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I am so glad as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a person, that God's compassion, God's mercy is new every morning. That God is a from this day forward kind of God. So in this series, the the question we're asking is, 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 is a great marriage possible? Is it possible to have a magnificent marriage? And the answer is yes, it's possible, but it's unlikely particularly if you pursue the world's way of doing marriage, if you pursue the way you would do marriage. If we're going to have a magnificent marriage, we have to do marriage God's way. We have to do the five things that God tells us to do in marriage. And so I'm going to give you the whole series in just one little section right here. First thing we need to do is we must seek God. And last week, we laid the premise that that there are three ways that you can seek God first in your marriage. You infuse your marriage with prayer, you impress the Bible on your hearts, and you involve yourself in the church. If you will do those three things, it will put God in the first position. It's the foundation for a great marriage. Uh, The second thing that you must do is fight fair, because every marriage has conflict, But conflict in a marriage does not have to be destructive. It can be constructive if you learn to fight fair. That's what we're talking about today. Next week, we're going to talk about have fun. Valentine's weekend, we're going to talk about romance and marriage. Uh, If you've got kids 13 and under, it would be a great weekend to have them attend Rockbrook for Kids. Every weekend, every service, Rockbrook for Kids prepares a great age-appropriate message for your kids up through sixth grade. And, uh, and it'd be a great place for them to go next week because I'm going to have an age-appropriate message for you in here. 
And uh, so we're looking forward to that. Next week, the fourth week, is going to be stay pure. Uh, You're not going to have a great marriage if you fall into the vile trap that the world sets for you regarding your marriage. You've got to stay pure. And then the fifth week is never give up. From this day forward, we're going to have a great marriage through every season of our married life. And those are the five things that we're going to do from this day forward. Today we're looking at fight fair. I find it interesting that the first relationship that God designed for mankind was the marriage relationship. You know, after the relationship between a person and God, the second relationship that God established was the marriage relationship. God didn't create Adam and then give him a friend or a buddy. God didn't create Adam and then give him a child to raise. God created Adam and then he gave him a wife. Look at the pattern in, in Genesis 2, 24. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. Circle that word united. That's an intense word. It means joined to his wife, hold fast to his wife, cleave to his wife, bond with his wife, cling to his wife. It's an intense relationship. King Solomon said in Proverbs 18:22, "The man who finds a wife finds treasure, and he receives favor from the Lord." Your spouse is a treasure, and when you find one, you you receive favor from the Lord. God's desire is not just for you to simply survive marriage, not just to hold on until one of you dies. Till death us do part is not an escape clause. You know, it's supposed to be a a promise of a long-lasting, enjoyable, pleasant fruitful marriage it's not till death is depart it's not a life sentence it's to be a lifelong blessing and so my my goal with this series is is not to help you survive in marriage but to help you thrive in marriage but if god's design is for us to to find lifelong blessing in marriage then why are so many of us experiencing what we're experiencing The average length of time in marriage before a divorce is eight years. That's far short of a lifetime. Why is that? What what happens? What are the forces that come in and destroy our marriages? One of the forces is conflict. Conflict. The, The question's not if we fight. The question is how we fight. I don't do a lot of premarital counseling anymore. We've got guys on staff. Pastor Will does that for us, does a great job. But uh, when I do, and back in the day when I used to, one of the things that I, I looked for was, uh, you know, have you had a big fight yet? Because I, I'm not sure you can really love each other until you've had a big argument. I mean, I believe in love at first fight. I mean, I just think there's something about being able to look at someone and think, you are just so wonderfully, stupidly wrong but I still love you. I mean, why, my wife's had to do that over and over again in our marriage. Uh, and, and couples can fight over the silliest things. I've got a list up here for you of, of some silly fights. One is the music in the car fight. And, and when you're dating, everybody kind of agrees. In fact, you may even have your song. And then after you get married, uh, now all of a sudden you find out you have different tastes in music. And so suddenly now there's the fight for who's going to be the DJ in the car. 
Uh, There's the sides of the bed or the ultimate sleeping position fight. I mean, you think you love someone and then you get married and begin to share a bed and you realize that, uh, you know, they hog the blankets, they like to sleep in the middle, you're trying to cuddle and they're smothering you with their armpit while you sleep or, you know, everybody's just all elbows and kneecaps. Uh, There's the bad navigator fight. You know, you're trying to get somewhere. Can you take over the GPS? Sure, I can do that. Let me know when I need to turn. And 20 minutes later, uh, I think we missed our turn. You're the navigator. Well, you're the driver, and we can have a navigator fight. Uh, There's the cuddle-tickle fight gone wrong. Maybe you've experienced that when it starts out all playful and then pretty soon it escalates to where somebody's screaming with, you know, crying, laughing, torture sounds and making verbal death threats. Uh, My wife actually put in our marriage vows, you will never tickle my feet. And so for 42 years, I've usually honored that vow. (laughs) Um, There's the thermostat Cold War fight. Yeah, oh, that one, yeah, had that one last night, huh? Man, it's hot in here, and then you turn it down, oh, I'm freezing, and then, you know, they, you know, leave for work, and you turn up the heat, and then they come home, and it's 80 degrees in there, and they open the windows, and you buy a space heater. Uh, it's, there's the great reality TV debate. You want to watch The Voice? No, I want to watch American Ninja Warrior. How about Survivor? Uh, American Ninja Warrior. What about Dancing with the Stars? No, I want to watch American Ninja Warrior. And then there's the deciding where to get food fight. I mean, if two people love each other, nothing is impossible except deciding where where you're going to eat. And those fights seem pretty silly. But if we don't fight fair in the silly fights, we can wound each other so deeply over time that the marriage dies from a thousand cuts. And the wounds inflicted in the silly fights are compounded and exacerbated in the big fights. You know, the big fights are over money and budget and sex and in-laws and how to raise the kids. And if you don't learn to fight fair, even in the silly fights, uh, you're headed for real trouble. So how do we learn to fight fair? Uh, Before I get into that, I want to identify for you some wrong turns that we can take in in marriage. You know, if you've ever gotten lost on your way to a destination, you you wanted to go to a certain place, but you wound up in a different place. And oftentimes when you wind up in a different place, it's an unpleasant place. But always when we get lost, whether it's unpleasant or not, it's not the place we wanted to be. It's not the place we intended to go. And that can happen in our marriages. Many of you got married thinking the marriage was going to end up in some place pleasant, but that's not where you are today. Somehow you wound up in a place that's unpleasant. It's a place you did not intend to go. How did that happen? Well, it happens in marriage the same way that it happens when you're driving somewhere. Somewhere along the line, your marriage took some wrong turns. And so I want to identify for you three very common wrong turns in marriage. The first wrong turn is is we are fighting the wrong enemy. Somehow we have believed the lie that the person we are married to is the enemy. And our culture 
today fuels that. It paints men and women, husbands and wives as adversaries. And that's a lie. Do not believe that. God's plan is not for you to marry your enemy. Your husband, your wife is not your adversary. That's a lie that the world, the flesh, and the devil want you to believe. Why? Because if you view your spouse as the enemy, then you won't recognize who the true enemy is. The Bible tells us our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We look at the person we're married to and we think they're the enemy. But they are not your enemy. They are your ally. And we've got to remember that. Jesus said, if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Don't make the wrong turn of fighting the wrong enemy. Next wrong turn. We're driven by wrong motives. James 4, 1 through 3, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. You're not seeking God first. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. And the word spend there is actually the word waste. You waste what you get on your pleasure. I mean, how many times does you and your appear in that passage? We make a wrong turn in marriage when we operate out of the motives of self-interest, self-promotion, self-preservation, self-defense. We saw last week that the key to a healthy marriage is to live a God-first life, not a me-first life. And too often we make that wrong turn into a self-first life. Next wrong turn we make is we're using the wrong tactics. We're demanding our right to be right. The, 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 the greatest relationships take place between two servants. Two people who aren't demanding their right to be right. Two people who are trying to outdo one another by yielding their rights to the other person. An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. It happens in friendships. It really happens in marriages. Defending your right read this epitaph from a tombstone in 1936. It says, Here lies the body of William J., who died maintaining his right-of-way. He was right, dead right as he sped along, but he's just as dead as if he was wrong. You know, in your marriage, in your family relationships, you can defend your right to be right and be dead wrong. Dale Carnegie said it this way. He said, Would you rather have an academic theatrical victory or a person's goodwill. You can rarely have both. Would you rather have an academic theatrical victory? Would you rather win the battle and prove that you are right, or win that person's goodwill? You can rarely do both. And when we're fighting dirty, when we're not fighting fair, the truth is we're destroying our marriages. Because the difference between healthy couples uh, is healthy couples fight for restoration, resolution. Unhealthy couples fight to win. 
What we have to do is make the decision that, that I'm going to change the course of my life. I'm going to change the course of my marriage. I'm going to quit making wrong turns, and I'm going to get back on track. And that's the hope of this series. That, 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 that's the hope that comes from this day forward. Because no matter how lost you've become in your marriage, no matter how many wrong turns you've made, you can turn around from this day forward. That's the hope that God offers to every one of us. So how do I do that? What are the right turns I can make to get my marriage back on track? Well, James 1, 19-20 lays it right out for us. He says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. The righteous life that God desires. The heaven on earth experience that God wants you to have in your marriage. Man's anger doesn't produce that. You've got to do marriage God's way in order to get there. So what's God's way? How do I fight fair? Three things on your notes. Number one, stop and listen carefully. And the reason I say stop is because most of us react rather than respond. We get into a disagreement and we immediately spout out our reaction. And 99 times out of 100, our reaction is wrong. And we should stop and listen carefully. Now, I know I don't always do that. And other people don't always do that. And sometimes it's easier to see bad behavior in somebody else than it is to see it in yourself. And I recently had someone, someone asked me, what do you think about, and then they, they picked a current topic that's in the news. And so I thought that because they said, what do you think about, that they wanted to know what I think about. So I began to tell them what I think about that situation. And I was a sentence and a half into it, and I realized they don't want to know what I think about that situation. They want me to think what they think about that situation. And so rather than listen to me, they began to immediately correct what I, what I was telling them. They just wanted me to think what they thought about it. They didn't want to listen to me. Proverbs 18.2, fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. And seeing that behavior in the other person highlighted that behavior in my own life. I mean, I really don't want to react like that in my relationships. And certainly not in my relationship with my wife, my treasure. And so rather than immediately react when I hear something that I disagree with, I want to take time to make sure. Do I, do I actually hear what's being said? Because people don't hear what you say. People hear what they think you say. That, that's what people hear. That's what you hear as well. And so before you react, you've got to stop and listen carefully. Most arguments flow out of misunderstanding and miscommunication. Most arguments are about things that people really didn't say. The, most angry people are just talking past each other. And so one of the best ways to solve that problem is just to repeat back to your spouse what you heard them say. 
And you don't do it in an angry or defensive tone. You don't do it in a mocking or challenging tone. You're not accusatory about it. You just listen and then you say, so you're saying, and then you repeat back what you heard them say. And you might think, oh, that's just silly. Well, it's not as silly as spending the evening fighting over a simple misunderstanding. It's not as silly as driving a wound or a wedge into your marriage relationship. And so when you stop and listen and then say, this is, this is what, I, what I think you're saying, it gives you a number of opportunities in your marriage. Number one, it gives you the opportunity to force yourself to listen. It gives the opportunity to your spouse to be affirmed that you've heard what they're saying. It gives them the opportunity to clarify or correct what you've misunderstood. And it also keeps the conversation focused on the issue rather than on the other person. So you want to stop and listen carefully because you want to make sure that you've accurately heard what the other person is saying. If you'll just take that simple step, the vast majority of your arguments will just go away because most arguments are about misunderstanding and miscommunication. And I'd even encourage you to build some time in after, okay, is this what you've said? Now give yourself some time to think through what they've said before you respond. Don't just react immediately. Give yourself some time to respond. And don't run off and build your defense, but really think about, well, what did they say? Because the second thing you've got to do is you've got to guard my words vigilantly. You've got to be slow to speak. Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut and you will stay out of trouble. I mean, it is just so, so cruel because our words wound so deeply. And the more you love someone and the more they love you, the more weight your words carry. And so you've got to guard your words vigilantly. And so ask yourself two questions. You want to ask yourself, should what I am about to say be said? Should what I am about to say, should it be said now? And I'll tell you from my own experience, the answer to both of those questions is usually no. No. What you're about to say shouldn't be said. And buddy, it sure shouldn't be said now. No. Guard what you're saying. The heat of the conflict is not the time to try and fix everything that's wrong with your marriage. The time to try and fix what's wrong with your marriage is when things are going smoothly. And so you've got to guard your words vigilantly. Let me give you some ways to guard, guard your words. You're going to have to just scratch these down on your notes. And number one, never call names. Never call names. Too wounding. Too wounding. Never say never or always because no one never or always does anything. And so when you accuse someone of never doing something, they'll come back with the one time that they didn't do it and now your argument's shot. So the the goal isn't never or always, just don't work. Never raise your voice, because now you're just escalating the argument. And an argument will never be more effective. It will never rise above the level that it gets to in the first three minutes. And so if you find yourself three minutes in and you're raising your voice and yelling, it's time to shut it down because it's going nowhere. And that ties into the next one, never get physical. Never get physical in an argument. 
when, when one of you gets physical, it's over. Nobody's going to win that argument. And you need to just stop it. You need to separate. Give yourself some space. Give yourself opportunity to cool down. Never get physical. Never get historical. And that means don't be dragging out all the stuff. Don't be gunny sacking, pulling stuff out of the closet or from under the bed and waving it around. You never, you always, don't get historical. Stay focused on the current issue that you're talking about. Never threaten divorce. It's the nuclear option. And, And if you threaten it, if you threaten it over time, you'll do it. And so just take it off the table. And then never quote the Bible or your pastor to prove your point. Okay? If you're having a, a fight with your spouse, keep me out of it. Okay? And don't quote Bible verses. Don't use the Bible as a hammer to beat somebody over the head to prove how spiritual you are about taking out the garbage or you know, whether to discipline a kid or not. Uh, don't, don't do that. I mean, just think about this. If you took those things out of your arguments, even if your spouse didn't, if you, because you can't control them, but if you yourself took those things out of your arguments, your arguments would be a, a whole lot kinder, they'd be a whole lot more constructive, and they wouldn't be destructive. But it doesn't happen easily. It, it takes real effort to guard your words vigilantly, especially when you're upset. But if you'll try it, you'll discover it's worth the effort. Third thing you need to do. I must manage my anger righteously. I must be slow to become angry. I, I, mean, I understand these, these things are of high value to you. I understand these things can be very wounding. These things matter. And so it, 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 you can become angry. But in your anger, do not sin. Manage your anger righteously. Do not let the sun go down while you're angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Don't believe the lie that it's just going to blow over. Things that you're upset about in your marriage, they aren't going to blow over. They're going to blow up. But you've got to deal with them when you're able to manage your anger in a righteous way. You've got to learn to fight fair. If you don't learn to fight fair, you're going to wind up in a very dangerous cycle. Very dangerous cycle. And, and what will happen is, is you will begin to develop a negative, critical attitude about your spouse. If you find yourself saying, you always, you never, that's a real warning sign. Because that, that critical attitude will shift into contempt. And you'll begin to say things like, I, I, I despise you, I hate you, I'm not sure I ever loved you. And that moves into defensiveness, because now you've got to protect yourself and it's got to be all their fault. And so you develop a bunker mentality. And then the last stage is, is it's just hopeless. It's never going to be any different. This is just, it's over. And I want you to know that wherever you find yourself in, in that cycle, God has a miracle in store for you. God has a You can turn your marriage around if you will learn to fight fair. I mean, we're going to fight. Conflict is part of the marriage package. But we've got to determine that we are going to fight fair. And the bottom line comes down to this. Is do I want to have a satisfying marriage or do I want to be right? Do, am, am I willing to fight as hard for my marriage as I am to be right? 
In times of conflict, I must make the decision that I'll fight for unity and not personal victory. I want to encourage you, whatever your stage of marriage, whatever the state of your marriage, to give real serious consideration to this marriage conference that's coming up. It's called a weekend to remember. It's going to happen at a hotel over here in Overland Park. It happens sometime in March. There's information back at the small group table. And if you just mention Rockbrook, you get $100 off the registration. But I would encourage you, just wholeheartedly encourage you, your, things may be growing great now, then go over there and have a great time. Things may be a little rocky now, well, go over there to the quarry and get things straightened out. Do some work on your marriage, because it's worth your time. It's worth the effort. Because God has something wonderful He wants you to enjoy. Let's pray together. God, we just thank you so much for your wonderful, wise plan of marriage. God, right, right off the bat with Adam and Eve, you said this is the way it needs to be. And you laid out a pattern for us of being united and and knit together and becoming one flesh. And God, we just thank you for the hope of that. God, we pray that you'd help us to learn how to get there. That we would learn to listen, that we would learn to guard our words, that we would manage our anger so we can enjoy the benefits that you have for us. Thank you so much for your word and the wisdom we find there. And for the hope that we have from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.